Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music insight and opinion. Today's date, September 6th, 2021. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today, as always, with Steve. Yep. What's up, buddy? What's up? So, it's been a while since I saw you last. It's been a whole week, huh? Whole week. Whole week. Fastest week of my life. Even did my laundry and found a new clean shirt. Yeah, right? Conveniently. <laughs> See, Speaking I just have which, this, like, perfect timing. Eagles season starts next Sunday. Yeah. This coming Sunday, Eagles Falcons. Get ready for a disappointing season out there, folks. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I love your optimism mm-hmm. with the Philadelphia sports teams. I mean, there really hasn't been anything to really celebrate. Well, with I mean, the, Philly the Super sports Bowl teams for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, the Super Bowl. Um, but that's the thing about the Philly sports fan. You have, like, just enough hope to feel disappointed. Like, I'm not a Detroit yeah. Lions fan every year. Like, we suck anyway. Like, this, <laughs> I enjoy sports. Yeah. Like, no, like, they give us enough hope. Like, the Phillies are just, like, in contention for, you know, leading the division. And it's just enough to break your heart. Yeah. Because they're not going to win the World Series. Eagles do the same thing every year. And then last year was, like, the most miserable year, at least in my lifetime. And yep. I'm ready for it again. <laughs> I'm ready to get hurt every year. See, I think that's why I never really got involved with sports or really, like, got into it at all. It's, like, the fact of knowing that you're going to be disappointed at some point or another. Oh, I love it. Like, that's I know. the adrenaline like, of it all. <laughs> it's, like, one of those things. Like, I know, like, like doing music and podcasts, and I know, like, if I'm disappointed, it's all because of me. Yeah. Not because of someone's draft pick or. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a tough battle. <laughs> it's a love hate relationship. Dirty job. Someone's got to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, have you encountered anything new or interesting this week or last week? So I had mentioned to you briefly at one point, um, Exodus dropping new music. Yes. Um, the album they have coming out is called Persona Non Grata. Persona I don't know why grata. they try to get all like fancy with the terminology. The song I heard off is called the beatings will continue. Fucking a, um, yeah, it's typical Exodus, and this is where, again, I constantly reiterate the fact that I really enjoy music by bands that I've already been very accustomed to. Yeah. Um, it's a lot harder nowadays to find a totally new artist that has a level of music that's so enjoyable. And even so many times, like most of these artists that I'm huge fans of, like even this new Exodus song, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, Exodus is very hit or miss with me. Mm. Like when they hit, like it's good, you know, like bonded by blood is such a fucking great album. And then they have several songs where it gets a little goofy and the vocals kind of like throw it off for me. But, um, the only thing I will say is though, is a lot of these bands, um, when their lyrical content is like already been about political and things like that nature and current events and Mm -hmm. especially like the punk scene and things like that, we're always, um, sometimes it sounds like a little fucking corny. Yeah. If you look up the lyrics, particularly for the song, the beatings will continue. You'll understand what I mean by that. I don't need to go any further. <laughs> but like when these like old thrash bands that you, you've just known for so many years that are just being relevant with the times, I guess. When yeah. It's just like keeping it real goes wrong. Yeah, <laughs> in this moment. Um, but yeah, Exodus dropping new music is what was new and interesting for me as of recent. 
Nice. Yeah. And what about you? Um, friends of the podcast Cognitive, they released a playthrough video of uh, their song Arterial Red. Mm. Now, I, dude, I'm like a fucking gear whore, like, you know, like I'm a fucking gear junkie, nerd, whatever. And I like the same way with like, like playthrough videos. Like if I could sit there, like I'll sit there and search through hundreds of videos until I find something of like, for instance, like Zach Wilde playing a solo, like a, one particular solo. Like I'll, I'll, I'll go through a bunch of videos until I find one where it like is like the right angle or whatever. So I mean, the, the playthrough videos have, aren't really a new thing, but as of like the past couple years, like playthrough videos have become like more and more popular and I love them. I, I can't get enough of them. I mean, you know, granted, like I'm never going to sit there and learn a cognitive song first off because I don't really have the abilities to do so and nor do I have the time to learn anything really. So it is, it, I don't know. I just like watching playthrough videos. I think they're cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I um that's a cool thing too because I mean obviously uh the relationship we have with that band in general and um even though fucking Harry decided to just totally ghost me for some odd reason. <laughs> Harry, if you ever listen to this, Spider hasn't forgotten. Um but yeah, I mean like that is a very cool opportunity with um and I think that's another thing like when you have like the behind the music and all those different things like mm-hmm. it's an opportunity more to get more in depth look of like artists that don't have the grandest of stages. Yes. You know like you can almost do it on your own time, you can do it with like a limited budget, you can do it just, you know, in your own personal space. Yep. It's just yeah, so I agree. I think that shit's really cool. Yeah, you're not going to sit there and like search YouTube and find like a pro shot, exactly cognitive. But from, that's the thing with great like, thing, like, even something. doing this podcast, like the uh, technology that's available to the regular everyday people, mm-hmm. you can produce as long as you just take a little bit of effort to know what you're investing in and a little bit of money. Like you can produce solid quality without needing like, the backing of a fucking record company or anything of that nature. That's very true. It's awesome. So yeah, the benefits of our society currently. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the, one of the benefits of technology. I mean, yeah. think, think about it like I don't know, ten years ago, okay. to two thousand eleven. Yep, we all had smartphones. Kind of. I mean, they they weren't close to as smart as they are now. Yep. But there was the ability of recording stuff on computers and. <laughs> You know, uh, being able to use GarageBand if you were lucky it was, enough to own a Mac. Yeah, and it was still the quality. <laughs> like it's even like video games, though. Same thing. <clears throat> like when Goldeneye came out on N sixty four, I was like, you know, the graphics are never going to get. How could you? Yeah. How could they outdo themselves with this one? <laughs> Madden two thousand two came out, just phenomenal. You know, and yeah. now it's like even to this day, like people will find a reason to complain until you're like physically controlling a human being. I mean, this is yeah. Um, but yeah, the technology today, cause you even talking about smartphones, like the best thing you could do on there was like drink virtual beer. Yeah. Play with a virtual <laughs> lightsaber. You know what I mean? That was like fucking mind blowing. Yeah, that's true. Now even just this production quality, like dude, if you showed this to, like I always like the thing, like if you gave a, like a, a pilgrim, a hot Cheeto, they would probably die. Yeah. Like, could you imagine this level of content back in like 1957? Jesus Christ. I think we've talked about this yeah, before. Yeah. Like the time you'd be like the, like the pinnacle. Oh yeah. Like, and you would world. own the market. Yeah. Yeah, CBS radio, they would fucking, they would just listen to fucking Bill and Steve. Yeah, exactly. You know? like, they they would just listen, they wouldn't even give a fuck about the content. See, that would be the craziest fucking thing, because you would have these like multi-million dollar companies, Yeah, but then you would have these two guys doing it out of their basement, and all these companies couldn't believe, how are they doing this? <laughs> they have dude, to we, be stopped. We would be hung, like we would be treated oh, yeah. as like witches in like exactly. medieval times. Like there's no, <laughs> it's so fucking funny. They would not allow this to go on. It'd be worth it. Yeah. 
<laughs> Will CBS hang us in the past life? Stay tuned. Contact us at our social medias. <laughs> On this day in music history. On this day in music history, September 6th, 2000, or no. On this day in music history, September 6th, 1976. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis reunite after 20 years on Lewis's Labor Day telethon to benefit the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Frank Sinatra surprises Lewis by bringing out Martin. Could you imagine? Like, just watching that shit on live TV? No. Like, after 20... It's like, um... I don't know. Like, what band can we think of that reunited... Rage Against the Machine? Yeah. Like, similar hype? Yeah, probably... Yeah. Just as just as similar as that. Yep. Like, could you imagine? But having that on live TV, like, oh yeah, it's just Tom Morello. You know, he's doing something, whatever, yeah. blah blah blah. To see Zach, and all of a sudden, Zach Delaroca. Yeah, that just <laughs> that would be fucking nuts. Yeah, that's yeah. cool though. Yeah, it is very cool. And that's the thing. I think that era of music too is very underlooked modernly. Mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting. Sometimes you will see like obvious recognition of it, and but Frank Sinatra gets so much more credit. Yeah. than the rest of them. Like even like Sammy Davis, like yeah. I mean, just so many individuals of that era that just like kind of fell into like the. Well, you know, it's like because like, like, Frank Sinatra's just his name. Well, Sinatra's like the Timberlake. I yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I hate to compare them, but no, it's like it's like that. Like everyone knows who Justin Timberlake is. No one knows who those like J C Chavez. Like who the fuck is that? I know Joey Fatone. I know. Well, Joey but Fatone's Dean a little Martin different and yeah. and Sammy Davis. I mean, like, dude, that's still. <laughs> A-lister names. That's crazy. Damn shame. (laughs) That'd be like no one knowing like who like who plays Captain America. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Chris Evans. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Very weird. All we know is Robert Downey Jr. Yep. (laughs) Well, that's even like with the Spider-Man coming out. Yeah. We're about to get a good taste of like Tobey Maguire or Spider-Man. Yeah. That's my Spider-Man. That's my Spider-Man. All right. You heard it here. Hashtag that's my Spider-Man. Hashtag that's my (laughs) Spider-Man. (laughs) <laughs> 1987 at the Starwood Amphitheater in Nashville Leonard Skinner reunite for a tour to mark the 10th anniversary of the plane crash that killed lead singer Ronnie Van Sant among other individuals especially uh, recently established guitarist Stephen Gaines um, yep yeah man that you, the documentary have you watched it yet I haven't had the chance okay, yet. I highly recommend it just because like it if does, I leave here tomorrow it, it does give a great breakdown of just the formation of the band itself like writings of like some of the most popular songs their career history and especially the the plane crash um and with steve Gaines when he joined i mean dude he was going to be like the the sound that they were headed towards already yeah was well established mm-hmm. but when they brought steve Gaines on um it, they were they were going to like another level like he was just oh, such yeah. a very talented musician uh and the thing about it is it was also sad his sister was um a backing singer for the band who also joined just randomly as a result mm-hmm. of her brother getting into the band. And she was also on the plane and died as a result. And it's a very fucking sad story when you learn the timeline of how quickly, you know, he got into the band and then obviously suffered the fate from the plane crash. But yep. I mean, Leonard Skinner, that's another one of those situations where I hate to say it. Like sometimes accidents and things of that nature almost make that band that much more iconic because of the history of it. Yeah. You know, like the timeline of certain musicians that we love, like and their downfall and the demise and like the horrible circumstances. But I mean, even people that don't know about Leonard Skinner, 
will like, oh, isn't that the band that died? Like, they'll just think the whole band died, first of all. Yeah. You know what I mean? But at the same exact no time. No surviving members. Yeah, right? Um, but, nah, I really, I love Leonard Skinner. This show is particularly, I remember, you know, YouTubing this show. Um, it's a good show to watch. There's many good shows to watch. Hmm. What happened in 1988, Bill? Speaking of interesting, in 1988, New Kids on the Block released their breakout album, Hangin' Tough. That it did. The LP goes to number one in America and spawns five hit singles, including the chart-topping title track and the number three entry, You Got It, The Right Stuff. How do you feel about New Kids on the Block? I'm partial to the Weird Al cover. You know, you got the right stuff, the white stuff in the middle of an Oreo. Mm-hmm. But I mean, well, th- here's the thing, dude. New Kids on the Block. It, uh, I believe we said a couple weeks back, they weren't the originators of this type of the style of music or the boy band thing, but they're the ones that brought it to the level that it was to, to then, become. To become yeah. exactly. Without New Kids on the Block, you wouldn't have the Backstreet Boys or the Insyncs or. The 90 degrees, you name it. You wouldn't have them because of this. And, you know, you probably really wouldn't have the career of Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. You know, I mean, I hate to, you know, I hate to put such an immense talent, you know, to the, uh, to the annals of boy bands, but you probably wouldn't have Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. And you probably wouldn't have the actor known as Mark Wahlberg without the help of his brother, Donnie. An actor almost as iconic as, you know, (sighs) ah. You know, you put them up there with the likes of like uh, Daniel Day Lewis. You know, <laughs> um, it's you know, he's a quite the guy. Kind of put him up there with like Rowan At- Atkinson. Yeah, he's more of like a Woody Allen to me. Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, dude, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hear and shit on fucking Mark Wahlberg by any means, but he kind of plays the same guy like, every, every time. Like, there was an SNL skit that I saw. It, had, it was Andy Samberg mm-hmm. being Mark Wahlberg. So you a sheep? What's that like? Yeah. Say hi to your mother for me. Yeah, and it's like it's like that is shit. We the need a, we need a middle aged white dude to play uh, this guy in Boston who's like kind of bad but not super bad, and he'll have a fucking bad a, enough, bad enough. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's got to be able to do a Boston accent. Yeah, right. <laughs> God damn. One year later, in 1989, Motley Crue frontman Vince Neil, wow, surprisingly, punches Guns N' Roses guitarist Izzy Stradlin in the face during the MTV Music Video Awards. Um, I don't know the context behind this one. So neither do I, but it's just, it's funny because Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses, because that whole thing with Guns N' Roses where, you know, they were talking shit on like Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain and they got in a fight. I mean, it's just Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses are just like those notoriously known acts of the 80s that are always involved in the most like petty drama. Yeah. Like if you like watch like Desperate Housewives and all that shit. (laughs) You could probably like make a compilation of all the petty bullshit that Motley yeah. Crue and Guns N' Roses have been involved in. Not for nothing, I think if I were to be on the receiving end of an ass whooping, I'd much rather get my ass kicked from Motley Crue than from Guns N' Roses because they seem like Motley Unless Crue it was Steven like Adler. The- yeah. Like, if well, Steven Adler tried to fight me, that's probably the only acceptable individual <laughs> that I would take from Well, I mean, life. like, as far as it goes, like, you think about it, Motley Crue comes up to whip your ass. 
What's the worst they're going to do? Scratch you with their fucking press-on nails? Guns N' Roses shows up. I don't know, man. I don't trust Mick Mars. Like, he seems like he's in some voodoo or some He's been around. Yeah. Yeah, but then again, I'd rather take a fucking voodoo fucking spell over Axl Rose probably fucking wrapping a chain around his hand. Yeah, he does fight like probably an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. You probably got fucking Duff McKagan like with his fucking broken beer bottle or some shit. Yeah. Like, you know, you never know what's underneath the Slash's top hat either. And is he straddling, too, the fact that it... He seems like the least, like... Threatening? Not even threatening, but, like, verbally vocal, where he would, like, even <laughs> cause some bullshit. You know what I mean? Honestly, if you think about any of the members of Guns N' Roses, you never hear shit from him. Yeah, is he starting always literally Axel. the one. You always hear shit from Steven Adler. Duff. You always hear Duff. You yeah. always hear Slash. That's what I'm saying. It's the weirdest thing. And you it's never Vince hear Neil. Him. It's not like if, if Mick Mars and Izzy Stradling got into it, that would be hilarious. That's like the two guys that don't get nearly <laughs> enough attention due to the surrounding cast. And they're yeah. the ones fighting. You know what I mean? That would be like the opening fight to a UFC main event. Like people came here to see it, but we're waiting for like, you know, yeah. maybe Axel and Vince. Yeah. Maybe fucking, you know, Tommy and fucking I Slash. mean, we're here for the pre the, for the prelims because, you know. Yeah, the prelims. Yeah, I'm going to get my money's worth. Yeah, Mick Mars. It should have been Mick Mars and Izzy Stradlin. I think this was this was a bad contracted fight, if you want to ask me. <laughs> I'm probably going to name it better. I'm probably going to name the episode that should Mick Mars fight Izzy Stradlin. Yeah. <laughs> People are going to catch that out of context. They're like, what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, moving here another year. 1990, Tom Fogarty, uh, the rhythm guitarist for Creedence Clearwater Revival, dies from an AIDS-related tuberculosis infection in Scottsdale, Arizona at the age of 48. He contracted HIV from a blood transfusion. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, especially like 1990. I mean, that was a big, big time for like AIDS. the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, it was a very easy. He died not far after that. I know. Yeah, there was a, like this was a major fucking Freddie Mercury died Freddie 91. Mercury. Yeah, yeah, same thing. So I actually didn't know that about Tom Fogarty, to be honest with you. Yeah, I had, I, no, I had no idea either until going and over blood this transfusions. Man, damn. Like, well, easy, that- like I mean, and Freddie, like they probably like knew how they got it. Well. The easy thing is, yeah, uh, that that's a little murky. We're not gonna, yeah, we're not gonna talk. We're about not gonna that get one. into conspiracies, yeah, later on this season. Yeah, well, yeah, we're <laughs> just not gonna dive into that. However, Tom Fogarty, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Nineteen ninety-seven, Elton John sings a new version of "Candle in the Wind" at Princess Diana's funeral. This rendition, which replaces "Goodbye Norma Jean" with "Goodbye England's Rose," becomes the best-selling single of all time in the UK. Huh. Wow. Fucking wow. That's probably why he was knighted. I'm partial to 5,000 candles in the wind. Those of uh, Parks and Recreation. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I'm not. Oh, no. I'm not familiar. Oh, my God. I got something to show you. Okay. <laughs> um, but speaking of live renditions. Yes. Speaking you should bring of this up. live music in the sense of Leonard Skinner as well. This is all coincidental. And D. Martin. So, yeah. Last week, we had stumbled upon quickly about Nirvana's Live at the Paramount. Specifically yes. by Live at the, you know, Reading Festival. Yep. And it had me thinking of... We had kind of talked briefly about the importance of live music. Now... Coincidentally enough, we live in a world where, honestly, at never in my lifetime did I think there was ever going to be a circumstance where live music was going to be on total hold. Yes. We just went through a whole year, now with concerts coming back, but we went through a whole year where concerts of the size that 
post major artists were basically non-existent mm-hmm. and it was strange. Um, you know, if you're not into live music, if you're things sports, if you're things, you know, just casual, you know, doings or whatever, live music for the those who are major fans of it felt that, you yes. know, because me and you even particularly, you know, we watched a live stream show and you'll mm-hmm. bring that up in a bit, but live music is just coming back. So I thought what we could say is, is we could discuss some of the facts of YouTube is a very good place to watch shows that a, we weren't alive for. B, that just haven't been around, you know, like we weren't able to attend or they were, you know, in some other country and it was something Mm -hmm. that, you know, bands sometimes don't tour locally and don't have the luxury. Um, And also think we could talk about some of the shows we've seen personally where I think that's the healthy reminder is like the importance of live music, but more so with music coming back, um, specifically September 15th, Lamb of God's coming around um, again with Megadeth when they Mm -hmm. were supposed to do that show we bulked back in 2020 and it got canceled due to COVID. So it's great to see that coming around, but I thought we would narrow it in. We talk about four live shows that we love that we did not attend, but we love to stream. Okay. And then talk about some of our favorite concert experiences. All right. Well, um, let's see here. My first is the Mitch Lucker Memorial Show. The ending is the beginning. Uh, I showed you in the beginning. Well, mm-hmm. right before we started re- uh, filming and recording. Um, for those of you that don't know, Suicide Silence uh, frontman Mitch Lucker died in a motorcycle accident in October 2013, I think. 2013. We'll go with 2013. Um, very soon after. I'll fact check. Yeah, please. <laughs> um very soon after Suicide Silence decided to do a memorial show to obviously memorialize their newly departed singer or, you know, vocalist and, uh, you know, provide to their, uh, to his daughter's college fund. And, um, yeah, so they just had a revolving cast of, um, revolving cast of different vocalists and various band members that were in the band prior Let's see. This just in. November 1st. 2012. All right. I was... Can we get like a boo track in the background? Boo. We should start doing that. Every time we do a fact, we'll have a quick fact check because I fuck up a lot. <laughs> I think I said, tell me why for the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. yeah. So we can have like a boo track for certain moments. Bottom line here at Rage Against Mainstream. We're, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. And a lot of this is coming off memory. So if anything, appreciate the facts that we do know. Like Freddie Mercury dying in 1991. I knew that immediately. See, I knew that it was at You're the close. end of October. The motorcycle accident happened Did on I Halloween. Did I November 1st? <laughs> I didn't Boo. want to say that. <laughs> I feel like the fish from SpongeBob used to add that track. Oh, brother, this guy stinks. <laughs> Boo, you stink. <laughs> yeah, that's holy fuck. I just had... First... Th- yep, I just had a fucking stroke here on uh, live recording. Sorry about that. This is the best part about doing this shit on video because if totally this wasn't on video, off, no one would have known. Nobody would have known. <laughs> first, th- first, th- first. Th- okay, but anyways, totally I knew that I knew that he died. Yep. I knew that the motorcycle actually happened on Halloween. We're gonna move on from this. In general. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the show now. <laughs> what we came here to do. The show, you know, had a revolving cast of lead singers and different members of the band that used to be there and, you know, throughout all of its iterations. And there's a couple of notable, uh, notable moments of the show. 
One is when you get Randy from Lamb of God coming out to do You Only Live Once, which mm-hmm. was incredible. Yeah, he makes that song a thousand. Because you know how I feel about Suicide Silence to begin yeah. with. Um, don't get me wrong. Like, it's one of those moments where I can respect the talent. It's just not my brand. Exactly. Um, but seeing Randy, like, that's one of the most interesting things about, you know, the genre of music we're talking on in particular, which is just metal and its subgenres. Mm-hmm. And you have an artist like Randy Blythe that can come immediately into a song and, like, make it his own. Yeah. Like watching that live performance of it actually made me like that song just because A, I like Lamb of God. Yeah. And B, you know, just the whole like vibe that Randy brings in a sense, like made that show really like he's a front man of front men. Like there's a whole level where you can go out there and just be brutal for some reason. But Randy just has like a level of energy. He makes you like want to be at the concert. Randy's like another one of those dudes where I probably wouldn't want to meet in like the back alley somewhere. Honestly, dude, like his interviews... He'd probably like, you know, teach you about fucking politics or something. <laughs> yeah, but I'm talking know. Randy just... back like 2007. Well, like I mean, when he was on the bottle. It depends. He might like fucking share a beer with you. I wouldn't step on a shoe or something. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> Speaking of loose cannons, the show also featured. Well, honestly, I think it's one of the better vocal <laughs> performances of the loose whole show. Is but you man. have uh, Tim Lambesis from yeah. As I Lay Dying. <laughs> Pre-prison. So he's Pre- all super... Post-steroids. Yeah, post-steroids. He's Pre- all prison. fucking roided up and shit, fucking doing Wake Up, which I thought was incredible. But um, it was funny because we were we were joking about it. We at I, Rage Against the Mainstream have no actual evidence of these steroids and are nothing more than opinions and not allegations. Can't argue with facts. Or police statements. Like 99% accurate. Yeah, I'm 99% I'm talking about his steroids. It's just, we don't know. <laughs> but he definitely is. But we were joking about, like, you know, like, what about if he messed up? He, like, went behind stage and was, like, freaking the Slammed fuck out. His fucking head in the you world. know, I thought about perfect fucking scene in the longest yard. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, like, literally. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <gasps> isn't it fucking Goldberg? No, no. It's um the great Kali. Okay, no, I was thinking of the one scene where Goldberg's, like, coming out, and uh, he's, like, trying to intimidate him, he just slams his head into a locker, he's like, coming for you, and, like, they're just like, why would you even do that? <laughs> no, I'm talking about when he goes into, yeah, like, I know what you mean. maximum security's, like, yeah, fucking smashing yeah. his head into the wall. Oh, yeah, they're, yeah. People told me me and you look alike. <laughs> <laughs> that was when they're playing Tim ping pong, and he takes after. the table down, don't eat me. Yeah. Yeah, that's Tim. Don't kill me. And this is, yeah, this is also before he took on a con, he took out a contract for uh, certain nefarious activities. Which we covered earlier on the show's history back in season one mm-hmm. when you cannot, where you should be able to separate artists from their actions. Yeah. Whether or not you can, it's totally up to your discretion. However, this is a pretty good live performance. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, um, like I said, that scene of music in particular is not my brand. Um, but as I lay dying does have several tracks that I like, same thing with, um, Parkway Drive. I put them in the same category yes. where certain songs would be just too much for me in the sense of like that real core genre. And then mm-hmm. other songs, like I can really hear the talent and like the musicianship of like what they were trying to do and developing that genre. Absolutely. You know, but yeah, that, that performance specifically the Randy Bly, but everything about that and even what's his face from Machine Head. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, everything about that is just a very, 
It's one of those moments, man. Like, you just, there's some shows you can't be a part of, but like mm-hmm. the fact that we have that luxury to just go back and, especially with the technology, and see a good version of it. Oh yeah, like, shit, man. Remember like watching shows recorded off like an LG chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that was still a good time for the moment, but it's like yeah. all pixelated. You could like kind of like, hear. <laughs> yeah, and your friends like showing it to you, and you're just sitting there like this, like wow, man, this is really cool, and you're just like turn it off. Like, like, you're sitting there, it's like you're like listening to something, just like. Yeah, exactly. And there's like some dude in the background like, this show's really good, man. Ah! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Holy shit, he's bleeding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, one of the uh, shows, especially because um, I like, you know, the ability with some of these like earlier shows and concerts, especially of like extreme level of notoriety that have the ability to go back and look at. One of the first ones I'm going to mention is the 1985 performance by Queen at Live Aid. Um, I think the entire Live Aid concert is very good. One of those is like, I go back if I want to like show someone Dire Straits. Dire Straits puts on a great performance at mm-hmm. that concert. But the Queen performance, um, especially with the Bohemian Rhapsody story behind it um, from the movie that gives to the newer fans of like what was actually going on with Queen at that time, mm-hmm. for them to go out and do what they did at that show... And at the level of, you know, like the crowd they were in front of, they were in the middle of like an absolute turmoil. There was like barely any practice before it. They got on the bill super late, which is why the set is so short because they had to like literally fit them in. Yeah. Um, But the Queen Live A performance to me, one of those shows where it it's just like that healthy reminder of, you know, you didn't grow up in that generation, but thank fucking God you have an opportunity to see it. Yeah. Because honestly, if you think about some of the things that, were seen in a generation where the technology was not nearly as available that all you could do is go on by word of mouth. Yeah. And nowadays we have that luxury where anybody can film anything at any given time to such a level of degree where you can show it to people, you can put it on the internet and everybody can get a taste of it even if they weren't there. Yeah. It's hit or miss in the way it works because sometimes like I disagree with it where it's like you should be in the moment. You should be appreciating it, you know, not being on your phone, just looking, being there for the fact that you're going to share it exactly. with people. Like, being in there in the moment. Exactly. Like you're there to appreciate it. You're not necessarily, you shouldn't be there just to show off to other people. Exactly. But at the same time, luckily you do have people that are more concerned about getting that out to the internet. So then that way I have opportunities to see what you saw that I wish I could have saw in person. Well, if you didn't put it on Facebook, it didn't happen. Apparently. <laughs> but yeah, the Queen Live A performance in 1985, dude, is absolutely like if you're going to watch anything by Queen Live, 100%, that's it. Nice. 100%. Um, here's a little red letter date here in uh music concert history. August 27th, 2015. You may not remember what you did that day, but I remember what I did that day. That's all Van Halen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I came over here one day and you were watching a YouTube video of that concert specifically. Yes. Now, from watching various shows from this tour, which was, you know, the last Van Halen tour, from the videos that I saw, August 27th, 2015 was the best Van Halen show on that tour that I've seen. And um, this is like where, like, the situation comes into where... Like, I don't watch it necessarily because it was, like, a super stellar performance or because it was amazing. It's because I was there. Yeah. Like, and watching it, like, it could, it brings back those feelings of, like, when I was sitting there and they fucking started the show. And it was, like, my wife looked over and I was crying. 
flat out. I'm not, I'm not going to fucking deny it. I was bawling my fucking eyes out. And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> it was just one of those things. It was just amazing. And um, to kind of relive that on YouTube is just amazing. 100%. And plus, there was like super funny parts in that show where like the fucking the David Lee Roth's in-ear monitors, like his vocals weren't turned up, toned up, uh, yeah, turned up enough. So he's like screaming in like the beginning of the show and like, he's like, if I don't fix this, like he stops, he stops uh, in the middle of Romeo Delight. He stops the song. He's like, uh, hold on guys, hold on guys. I got to get this fixed. My voice is going to blow out if I don't fix this. And I'm like, all right, well, thank God. Like this is going to get, like, he's going to sound better after this. And, uh, you know, he, then he said something. He's like, uh, he's like, He's like, you guys deserve the best. We're not here to fuck around. And I'm like, fucking A, here we go. Like, I knew what to expect from David Lee Roth in 2015, but I'm like, all right, maybe there was something wrong with his in-ears and he's going to sound better. It literally didn't change. (laughs) I'll show you the video later. You're going to laugh your fucking ass off because it literally didn't change. Jesus Christ. So then throughout the show, you know, like it just goes, you know, as a normal show would. And I can picture you like deep down inside. You're like, damn, I wish Sammy was here. That's literally what I did. I was like, damn, fuck. No, actually, you know what I thought the whole time? And I said it to I said it to Nicole. I was like, "They should have got Michael Starr from Steel Panther to sing on this tour because it would have been amazing." <laughs> I mean, you were basically there to see the band, regardless of who yeah. the singer was. Yeah, so I didn't give a fuck who the singer yeah, was. I probably would have wanted over anyway. <laughs> but if it was Michael Starr from Steel Panther, at least you'd be guaranteed to hear something that sounded similar to the songs yeah. you know and love, and yeah. they would probably be tuned up. Could you imagine if they told too. that? Because David Lee Roth obviously was back in the band. Like, listen, David, we're just we can't do it. Yeah. But so the show goes on and, you know, like Eddie and Wolfgang are doing the harmonies and it sounds like classic Van Halen harmonies. And like when they're all supposed to be like all three of them are supposed to be singing together, they just make David sound like an asshole because he's like singing off key or off time. And they're like in the perfect harmony from what you expect. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And um, at one point during the show, someone throws a beer at David Lee Roth, like oh, from God. the pit. That's great. Throws a beer at him. Stops the song again. That's great. He stops dirty movies. And then he's like... uh He's like, at one point in my career, the most fucked up thing I probably could have done to this guy was sleep with his girlfriend. He's like, but in this point in my career, the most fucked, the most wicked thing I could ever say to this guy is that I probably already have slept with his wife. And he's like, save the beer for me next time, slut. And I was like, what? Pretty good. It, it was cool. It was for like an old fucking burnout, David <laughs> Lee. That's pretty good for him. And like the the way that it just the way it happened, it was like, like it was almost like it was rehearsed. Yeah. Like, at this point in the set, you're going to throw a beer, and I'm going to freak the fuck out. I wonder if Daily Roth, like, had this all planned out beforehand. Like, if this happens, this is what I'm going to say. Well, if this happens, this is what I'm going to say. Because that's pretty good. Dude, if you've never listened to, like, an, an interview that Daily Roth has ever done, I would suggest doing it. Like, not even for the Van Halen factor of it. Like, actually, as a matter of fact, recently, he was just on with Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. And every time he goes on Joe Rogan's show, he does, like, a three-hour-long show. Just to hear him talk... It's just like, it's, it's like the ramblings of a crazy person. Great. Like, he's always just like, he, like, he, like, no matter what you say, he's got another thing coming. He's got like 50,000 responses to one question and it's, they're all crazy. That's great. But he's not like fucking like Tom DeLonge's UFO crazy. He's like fucking. Uh, Tom DeLonge was. Yeah, he wasn't he wrong. He was onto something. <laughs> Mindful of that. Yeah, he definitely, he, he was definitely onto something. But yeah, so. <laughs> Van Halen live August twenty seventh two thousand fifteen Camden New Jersey. Actually, I have to do is just type in Van Halen August August twenty uh, seventh two thousand fifteen. You'd be in for a treat. So coincidental to that, um, 
growing up, I mean, there was the big thing in Cooper River with like 1029, Let Freedom Rock Fest with like, I saw a bad company there, you know, Foreigner, Foghat, uh, Marshall, no, Steve Miller Band, a um, lot of, lot, lot of good artists. However, one of the first like shows that I went to, which in an experience in itself and also because of the particular tour that they were on, uh, was one of my most memorable was the Somewhere Back in Time tour by Iron Maiden in 2009. Um, and that stretched for a year. So the first show I went to, it was weird. I was planning to go see it with all of my friends. At that point, I think it was a Susquehanna Bank Center. Okay. Post Tweeter before BB&T. I want to say Susquehanna Bank Center. But coincidentally enough, I was a junior in high school. It was my uncle. Susquehanna. Yes. Okay. So 2009. Um, my uncle. Uh, randomly out of nowhere, I was getting done junior year. It was that summer, invited me to go. Now, at this point, I didn't know shit about my family in terms of music. Like, if there was anybody that really gave a fuck. Little did I know that my uncle was a diehard Pearl Jam fan and saw him, like, any time they ever came within 50 miles of his place. So he knew about Iron Maiden coming around, and I guess at this point, like, my personality really started to develop, and he started to realize, like, cool, there's another person in here that's into some good music because (laughs) he's been going to these shows, like, alone, you know, for a long time, and you know, some friends, whatever, but he out of nowhere was like, guess what? Getting a ticket, going to see Iron Maiden, Madison Square Garden. I'm like, okay. And coincidentally enough, the train that we got, I still have the ticket stub for it. The train number was 666. The train that we took from Philadelphia to New York. That's cool. And we get there. And now this is the coolest part because at this point I'm smoking, I'm doing drugs, I'm drinking, I'm doing shit in high school that I'm trying to like, like my parents know, but but my uncle was cool as shit, man. Like he took me, he took me to a bodega spot, packs of cigarettes out there were like fucking eleven dollars even at that point in time. Bought me a pack of cigarettes. I was like seventeen years old. You know, <laughs> we had beers together and shit. And dude, and I was in Madison Square Garden for the first time in my life. And the tour that Iron Maiden was on, they didn't do an album release, so they literally played shit from Killers, the self-titled, Number of the oh, Beast, um, Somewhere in Time, fucking. Um, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, like they played all older shit. There wasn't a single song on there that was probably newer than, I want to say like Seventh Son of the Seventh Son. And if there was, it was like intermittent. Like it was just, you know, some songs that were relevant at the time. But dude, it was just such a fucking awesome tour because this is with even Iron Maiden playing, like going to be playing shows with this new album coming out. And this is why I've said it before, regardless of the music that comes out, it kind of sucks because you're going to be majority of the set list is going to be soaked up to those songs. Yeah. But dude, Iron Maiden next to Guar. I think Guar was one of my most fun shows that I've ever been to. It was oh, yeah. at the Electric Factory. We well, can't not have fun with Guar. Yeah, that was one of my most fun shows. But seeing Iron Maiden live, this is where Bruce Dickinson Maiden that I can't just totally give up on it because seeing them live is just so, it's so theatrical. Yeah. The music's good. And like regardless of where you were in Madison Square Garden, it's one of the best laid out venues that I've ever been to. <laughs> it's such a fucking good experience, man. And I'm telling you, man, like Iron Maiden comes around, 100% have to see them. 100%. Well, hopefully, uh, well, obviously this thing is recorded way in advance. Hopefully Jake Paul does uh, fairly well. At Madison Square Garden. By the time that this episode releases, it's going to be weeks. Yeah. Or not a week after. Give it, yeah. But, um, yeah. I, I've always thought Madison Square Garden was, like, probably, like, the... Like, I've always assumed it was, like, the venue. Like, if you if you play Madison Square Garden, you made it. And it should be. Yeah. But then you have situations, like, that you just discussed that really <clears throat> take away from the level of... 
yeah you know quality that should be only allowed <laughs> into that building um but speaking of that even too um when i saw the misfits in 2019 at the wells fargo center glenn danzig made a very big point because they had just played the halloween set um at madison square garden and they sold it out so glenn Dan- danzig obviously now this was in december me seeing them in philadelphia which was probably the best you could have ever expected out of current misfits and it was great because it, they sounded just like their albums like yeah. the first time i saw them i think danzig was trying to do a little too much and he got winded and it was kind of like he was like huffing and puffing through certain songs he felt <laughs> kind of bad but the second time it was great and um he made a very important point because of how low budget the misfits were basically their entire career how lack of marketing through big corporations radio and shit like that and strictly by a cult following he was so proud to be able to say, like, we sold out Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Like, fuck how long it took. doesn't matter. Like, a band, like, basically, like, how we're trying to do this podcast on self-marketing and just hope for exposure and a cult following. Yeah. Able to sell out Madison Square Garden. But then I hate to put that in the same perspective as the individual you just mentioned that's able to do it because strictly basing his whole personality Clown. off of being the biggest douchebag possible. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, that's the way modern times Not gonna lie. I hope he gets his ass kicked. Well, we know the outcome but we won't share it here. How? How do you know the outcome? Because it happened over a week ago. Oh, yeah. Please. <laughs> what uh? What day are you living in, Bill? I'm in living in the day of yester tomorrow year. I feel like the Twilight Zone music. Right <laughs> How do you know the answer? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> a little spinny fucking. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, another good Van Halen show. <laughs> um, Van Halen at the Us Festival, 1983. Um, they headlined Us Festival that year out in California. And, um, this is obviously, well, 83, this is before, you know, 1984 came out. And, like, it was still, like, at that point in time, they were the biggest shit around. And they haven't even released their biggest album yet. Yeah. And, like, just the song choices they played, like, the raw energy the band had, it was amazing. Yeah. And, uh, actually, you can kind of tell right there where David Lee Roth kind of was starting to lose it a little bit. Oh, yeah, you can He really was never pick. a good live guy. Yeah. Ever. I mean, I think that, but that's the thing about Van Halen. It's like, they weren't so surrounded by David Lee Roth to be that front man. Yeah. I mean, you knew when you were going to see Van Halen, just the fucking talents of Eddie Van Halen himself was enough to bring in a fucking crowd. Exactly. You know, like most bands you're going to see live, it's usually that front man is going to be the make or break point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're going to go see Led Zeppelin for Robert Plant. You're not going but there even strictly Jimmy, for Jimmy Page. Not even, yeah, exactly. Not strictly for it. But that's the benefit with like Van Halen. Like some people are probably going there for David Lee Roth. Mm-hmm. But Eddie Van Halen is, if he's not up to par, like that's going to ruin the whole band. Exactly. It's going to ruin the show. (laughs) And even David Lee Roth being all fucked up, Van Halen, you're still like gonna like, all right. Like you you said, you still had a good time regardless of like what you wish the vocal abilities were. (laughs) Now, if Eddie was all fucked. That that would have been a different story. Yeah. And and David Lee Roth could have been vocal prime. Sorry for the people that were, uh, that have bought tickets for the 2004 Van Halen tour. I've watched those videos as well. Oh God. That was when Eddie was like seriously, yeah, like like on bad, the like on the bottle, on the on bottle. on a lot, on a lot. 
Well, he was on. He was on a lot of bottles. I feel bad for anybody who's bought a Motley Crew ticket since like two thousand. Man, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh my God! <laughs> Speaking of that, but um, Ugh. another <laughs> another live Wait. show I wanted to bring up is one that me and you have in common: Lamb of God twentieth anniversary of Ash of the Wake live stream. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I might say it might be one of my favorite concert experiences. Honestly, which is this is what's really cool. And again, going back to live music, because it's the same thing with like new albums mm-hmm. by a band I like. You don't know what's coming yet. It's fresh. It's exciting. Like you can go and listen to the same songs. You can go listen to remasters. But when you have a band that you really like that's coming out with new music, it's like that first time to hear something that you haven't heard by something you already enjoy. Yes. In that Lamb of God live stream, it was like there was no opportunity to hear live versions of every single song from that album. Like Blood of the Scribe, like all those songs that like like Lamb of God used to post all the time, like coming to coming to BB and T, what song do you want to hear? And like I would type in Blood of the Scribe all the time. <laughs> and like people I would get like mad likes and comments like, Oh, that'd be di-. like holy shit, why the fuck like yeah. why don't they play this song? And like never would get a response, of course, obviously. Like, <laughs> hey, let's post a thing on social media and not respond to anybody. Real fucking cool, Lamb of God. Like, go figure <laughs> out how that's gonna work. Um But I knew like going into it because Ashes is such an iconic album to me in terms yeah. of like that immediate gap between metalcore and like traditional death metal yep. and thrash and everything is in there. Yep. And yeah, to see that live art cruise, like that was the only thing I was concerned about. And we both said the same thing. Hopefully like after he plays all these songs, he's like, Holy shit. <laughs> like this is, this is a real cool way to fucking drum. Cause he fucking hit it, dude. Yeah. He, he really was, he brought was good. his fucking chops, man. And like, like it sucks because we weren't able to see it live. Yeah. Then again, they wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have done that live. No. Like if you were to buy, yeah, they wouldn't have that. Part, yeah, they wouldn't. Yeah. But it was like it was cool for the fact that we, you know, put up the fucking blow up projector screen in the backyard and fucking basically watched a live show in very cool. You know, in the backyard of my house, like yeah. it was just like. It was like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I wish there was like some instances to where I could watch a show this way. Yeah. Like, just invite a bunch of people over and like, we're just going to watch a show. Yeah. You know? And I think more and more like what that's, again, because the availability of being able to travel in certain circumstances, like the more and more they should be able to elaborate on how they can produce a live stream of a show that's currently, like even with the Lamb of God show that's coming mm-hmm. with Megadeth. Um, because think about that. Like you got a bunch of friends that can't go, but we'll pay the ticket price and sit in the fucking backyard, drink, yeah. fucking do our own shit and be able to see what we could have saw. Exactly. Um, and speaking of shows that we have in common too, like this is another moment because I remember you were a fan of Amon Amarth. Yes. And I saw Slayer on their first farewell tour. And then I saw him on the second farewell tour. One of those first farewell tours, I was able to see behemoth for the very first time live. And it was fucking great. I can imagine. Um, yeah, on that bill was Anthrax, who I'd seen several times, which was great. Testament was on that bill, that first one, fucking awesome. Lamb of God was there again at this point. It was like the fourth time seeing them, and it was awesome. But I got to see Behemoth for the first time, and it was great. And it was another moment of like when I heard certain songs, I had to go back, look up the track listing of what I heard, and go find those songs, because I just remember how they stood out. Yeah. So the second time we saw them, you were there, and Amon Marth played. I hadn't seen Amon Marth since the Trocadero in like 2006, man. Like it was a long fucking time. Oh shit, that was a while. Um, Yeah, so like 
one of those moments where obviously in that point in my life, um, I was probably on several substances that probably created a black hole in my memory because I couldn't honestly tell you what it was like to see, uh, you know, Amon Amarth at that point. Yeah. So seeing them again, and I remember you immediately said it afterwards, like seeing them live, like just gave you a whole new, yeah. like respect for that band. Like I've always loved them, dude, but seeing see, them they live put on a was fucking like a different show, it, man. Was a, it was an experience. Dude, honestly, that was probably my favorite part of that concert. And it sucks because usually when a band plays earlier, you start to lose more of what the focus was because you're seeing more, you're seeing more, you're seeing yep. more. And like seeing Lamb of God now for like the fifth time at that point, I knew what to expect. Slayer, I had just recently seen, knew what to expect and they provide mm-hmm. a good, but Amon Amarth seeing them like that, it's just like, honestly, like when I see Amon Amarth live, like I want to go get a fucking sword and shield and fight something. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just want to get out there for Odin's sake. I don't know. Actually, if you search up uh, Amon Amarth Camden, New Jersey, yep, you can see me walking into the you can also see a really cool fucking crowded setup of uh, a Viking rowboat in the pit section of the lawn. And I was standing roughly 30 feet to the left of the guy videotaping that. And I remember even specifically telling Becky, wow, that's pretty cool. We should join. And I never did <laughs> for some reason. And then it made it on YouTube. And yeah. I go, and then oh, it became fuck. a viral thing. I was like, fuck. I think, I think it, it was in there. Made, it even made it to Loudwire. I, I remember, think, yeah. Too. It made I, it everywhere. I know. And I was looking at it the whole time. Like froze. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're like, those are the real fans out there. And you're just like, yo, this is why I couldn't play sports. Cause if there was like three seconds left and it's up to me to hit that buzzer beater, I'm just diarying and just like, <laughs> like I forget what I like all my fucking hand eye coordination and motor skills and my mechanic gone. You know what I mean? Cause like the moment I saw that robot, I was so like, well, that's really cool. You go full goof. I don't know. You full goof. <laughs> I was full simple Jack. I went total simple Jack on that moment. <laughs> you never go full retard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's simple. I was, just, I was simple Jack in that moment. That's fine. Um, but the last one, I mentioned the Paramount show. I just want to mention one last one because my recommendation is actually going to be uh, a live album that I was going to recommend a while back and I never did. But the uh, Doors Live uh, Isle White Festival in 1970 was one. But Woodstock 99. Hmm. I think Woodstock 99 because I just want to break this down for like the people that, you know, you're aware of it, but just like the lineup order, which is the it's like the most hilarious thing. And especially for our generation of musicians that we're familiar with. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing on the same stage, James Brown live, Sheryl Crow, DMX, The Offspring, Corn and Bush. Kid Rock. Yeah. All on one stage. And then you see. You know, July 24th on the same stage, fucking the Chemical Brothers, Mickey Hart and Planet Drop, Ice Cube, Everclear, you know, and then the last stage with Kid Rock, oh, Wyclef yeah. Jean, Counting Crows, Dave Matthews Band, Alanis Morissette, Limp Biscuit, Rage Against the Machine, Metallica. And it's funny because the cool thing about the the Woodstock shows is that you can just YouTube specific sets. Yes. And I'm going to tell you right now, DMX's performance and Alanis Morissette's performances, I go back to on a regular basis <laughs> because you don't have many great live recordings of full sets in like that setting Oh yeah, where you're just like hype to listen to fucking Alanis Morissette. <laughs> like it's fucking good. And DMX, obviously. Oh, I mean, yeah. just, but it was crazy because you could have a band like Metallica be at the same crowd for a crowd of DMX. Like that era of music was so well blended yep. and not much division that you could listen to Rage and fucking live in the same day. 
Yeah. You know, you could listen to Wyclef Jean and Kid Rock in the same day. It was crazy to like see the lineups like in 99 of like, wow, like that was like our era of music. Yeah. You know? And yeah, that's one of the most, um, like it's not my favorite live show, but it's just one of those ones that it's you just, just cool. You can pick so many different artists to listen to out of there. Cause even particularly like the Metallica set, it's not my favorite. We know what the favorite is. 10 years prior. 10 years prior. Well, actually, staying on Woodstock 99, mm-hmm. I remember I, like, I was like, I don't know why. I was just like looking up like live kid rock. I don't know why. Yeah. But then, um, I came across Ball with the, cause that's what he opened with. Yeah. And, uh, in that song, the, the regular lyrics are like, and for all my homies in the county in cell block six, he changes it to, if you don't like Kid Rock, you can suck my dick. And I remember like hearing that and be like, oh, like, whoa, he's fucking tough as hell. That was, that was tough. That tough was fucking tight right there. Yeah. If you don't like Kid Rock, you suck his dick. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, all the people that don't like Kid Rock are just. Yeah. Ten years prior to Woodstock 99 might be... On the opposite side of the country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Might be one of the best concerts. We harp on this show all the time. But it's... I, I, I listen to a lot of live music. I watch a lot of live shows. And there's... For the production of it, for the transitions that are done throughout, mm-hmm. um, the the sound quality and the performance in itself. And just the era. And the era. The embodiment of this show is like pinnacle live music of its genre. Actually, you know what? We're not even going to say their name. Just We're not in, even going to say it. Just in case like they weren't listening like a minute We're going to speak on this in all subtleties. We're going to try to be as vague as humanly possible. Vague as humanly possible. But on the other side of the country in 1989, a particular artist performed a show at a venue shortly after a member had passed away and a new album was right there. A couple years prior to a major movement in that particular area they played in. Yes. Uh, two years also prior to an album that would blow them up into beyond mega proportions. Yes. I'm trying to think of like other ways we can like explain like where it was and what band it is without with saying. an artist that is still very upset due to the production quality of said album that the, was released that they were touring on. That it was there. Right. We go. Yes. Um, in a place that always rains. Always rains. About a place sixty miles north of uh, where the fuck's Nirvana from? Because they're not from Seattle. Aberdeen. The Aberdeen. Yeah, about mm-hmm. 60 miles north of Aberdeen mm-hmm. or so. I mean, those of you that are in, uh, you know, that part of the country, that part of the country. You, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> but yeah, that show in particular, man, is just an absolute embodiment of. I mean, because again, it, it, that band in particular, not everyone's going to be a fan of. Exactly. That genre of music, not everyone's going to be a fan of. However, if you're even remotely close to it, um, if you can't appreciate that show, there, there's got to be an issue because I, I remember watching on VHS. It's dude, it's fucking like, it's the same thing when I had mentioned like live at Paramount by Nirvana. It's the way it's shot, the way it's produced mm-hmm. and for the time that it was done to be able to show that to anybody, 
blasting that dude. Like I remember just being at like house parties and just you're just like fucked up and like the night's getting sour and you just can put that on and just turn it up all the way and like to visually see it with the sound that's coming from it, yep. it just gives you a whole second wind. Super pro shot. So much. Yeah. yeah. The whole um the song off of the first album um where they're looking for something to kill. Um there's a stoppage moment in there, you know, and the singer does stuff with a beer and a watch and like just the whole hype of the song in particular. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that, mo- like just the way that they were at that part of their career. There was fucking super badasses at that point yeah. in time. Like there was no denying because not only were they upper echelon, like notable stars in the music industry, but they were still early days representatives. Of yes. Fuck hair metal. And you know what I mean? They so, they didn't quite cut their hair yet. Yeah, they weren't there yet. Another hint. Yeah. If you haven't figured out. By friends now. don't let friends get friends haircuts. Yes. Friends don't like friends get friends haircuts? Yeah. Wait. Friends don't let friends get friends haircuts? Yes. As like a reference to the show Friends. Oh, oh yes, yes. So yes. like... Okay, so I, that was a... Okay. So I wouldn't let you... Get a haircut like David Schwimmer. Yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't get a haircut like any individual off that show. Ever. <laughs> Never. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that particular show, it's just... Uh, we don't need to talk about it. It's undeniable. We don't need to talk about it. You know. Actually, I'm pretty sure if you just type in... You know what? We can give the city away. If you just type in Seattle 89... Probably be the first thing that pops it, up. It, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. We shouldn't even have to go that far. No. They haven't figured it out. For, just moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So what do you think? I, I always, like, sometimes just I Just a shout out, though, to that. everybody in the area. September 15th, BB&T Arena. Lamb of God, Megadeth, Trivium. Pissed off, though, because Hatebreed replaced In Flames. Yeah. I haven't seen In Flames. In Flames, love been, to see in I've Flames. seen In Flames. They're fucking awesome. Yeah, they're they're another live them and at the gates. I go back and forth and like watch like live. Eras. Oh yeah. yeah. So, what concerts have you been to that you think top any of the ones that we just talked about? Do you have any particular live footage that you like going to to rewatch and relive like some of the best nights of your life? And also, if you mention Woodstock '69, we didn't mention that on purpose because that's just an obvious. Yeah. So don't be like, oh, you mentioned Woodstock. And Woodstock 99 was better than 94. So yeah. don't even go there. Yeah. I mean, Metallica played then too, but, but yeah. <laughs> James still had long hair, I think, in 94. He did. But he, it was like the, the mullet. Yeah. Yeah, the mullet. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if you have any shows that you wanted, you know, that you want us to shed light on or shows that you think we should know about, you know, expand our musical knowledge. We don't know everything. We don't claim to know everything. We claim to know a lot, but we don't know everything. Yeah. Find us on our social media accounts, facebook.com slash RATM podcast, Instagram, and Twitter at RATM podcast, or you can send us links and videos and write us letters to RATM podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, YouTube search Rage Against the Mainstream podcast. That concludes the topic for this week. Let's get into our suggestions. All right.
You, you so, yeah, so <laughs> there was a live show that I didn't mention on purpose because I was just going to recommend it. Um, ironically enough, the reason why I didn't bring this up is because this is actually a live album that was recorded live, but remastered and produced so heavily to a point where it was basically not live anymore. Kiss Alive? No. La Thin Lizzy, Live and Dangerous, 1978. Um, great album. Arguably, hands down, probably, yeah, my favorite Thin Lizzy album overall, just because it's A, a compilation mixed with just a very good... It's a greatest it's hits. A, yeah, it's, but it's a great, great album. Um, so Thin Lizzy, Live and Dangerous, the song I'm going to recommend is Emerald. Nice. Yeah. Thin Lizzy's one of those bands that like never gets talked about often. They're like so like not even on our show, they're just like in general. Borderline like A list, but they run so under the radar. Mm-hmm. Like you'll know them, but they're not bad company. They're not exactly. You know I mean? And Phil Lynott, man, like he has his own statue in Ireland, which is really cool. You yeah, because when he passed away, because he's you know he's black Irish, so he they got a whole statue out there for him. But yeah, Phil Lynott, hell of a bassist, yeah. hell of a front man, hell of a vocalist. They were just such a good band, very good. Speaking of good bands, <laughs> my suggestion for you this week is to check out. The 1993 album by Carcass, Heartwork, uh, the song Berry Dreams. I can remember hearing this song for the first time, and this is the song that got me into Carcass. Yes. And just that, that it's yep. just such a badass riff. It's just more so of, fucking nasty. I'm more of a necroticism fan, but Heartwork, Heartwork is the black album of Carcass. Like, yeah. It's the one where it's just, it's so good. It's yep. like their best album in terms of like polished, what they're going to sound like for the duration of their career going forward, what they're headed towards, mm-hmm. um, but before it totally fell off the rails. Because Swan Song for me was a little bit of a turnoff. The stuff that they've been calling out with recently, like Surgical Steel, the EP they had and their newer album come out, but Heartwork, man, is just very good album. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely, it's it's one of those, you know what's funny too? Like, Heartwork is one of those albums to where, like, even if you're not super into death metal or anything like that, it's one of those, like, like bridge albums. You, yeah. You know like, what I mean? If I was, yeah, because I usually go the route, like, I'll get someone in, like, punk, I'll get them in a thrash, and then I'll start to show them, like, you know, Sepultura, and, like, get yeah. them in that way. And, like, yeah, Carcass is very tasteful in a sense. Like, mm-hmm. it's, some of it's a little overkill, like, especially their earlier stuff, yeah. like, Reek of Putrefaction and shit like that. Um, but, yeah, Heartwork is a great place to, like, start. Yeah, heart, Heartwork is awesome. Metal. Yeah, very good. But, yeah, so, uh, you heard it here. I'm trying to think here. Is there anything we need to, anything? You have a truth tree moment? You got anything? Go Eagles. Go Eagles. Go Eagles. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so, do you think the Eagles will finish 4-13 and 13 this year? Let us know. <laughs> they expanded it to 17 games just so I can get one more game of disappointment in there. <laughs> Exciting. Follow us on our social media accounts, facebook.com slash RATM podcast, Instagram and Twitter at RATM podcast, YouTube search, Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast. And as always, you can get us on our email, retmpodcast at gmail.com. But until then, this is another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast for the books. As always, I'm Bill. I'm Steve. Wow. Have a good night, guys. Thank you for listening. Oh, you stink.